talk about when we, we first started talking about having this and trying to pull it off this year, we talked about originally leading in a post-pandemic world. Um, but then we, as it got closer, we weren't sure we were in a post-pandemic world and maybe we're still in a pandemic world. And so we just really don't know. And leaders have to lead no matter what the world looks like. Whether it's pandemic or post-pandemic, whether we have to persevere or pivot, we just have to, to lead. And the 21st century ministry leader, there, there's been a lot of metaphors that have been used to talk about what leadership looks like, uh, the, these pictures that help us to see it. And coming into the 21st century, there were those that referred to the past as, a, as leadership being in a placid lake. That was that's how they referred to it, a placid lake. You see a picture of a placid lake, you, you realize that there are calm waters, and it's almost uh, uh, just a silent, still, unless somebody was to disturb it or disrupt it. And if you're canoeing in a, a placid lake and you build some momentum, uh, you can even take the, the, the paddle out of the wa water for a little bit and begin to coast because there is no resistance. It is, it is that, that placid aspect. And so as, re as a result, strategic planning is a breeze when you have a placid lake because you can coast a little bit and, and past performance is sort of indicative of future, what's happened in the past, because after all, we've got momentum and we can coast a, a little bit. However, as time has gone on, they have begun to change that this is no longer the environment that we're in. Uh, it's no longer that, that steady environment that we can look down the road and say, hey, if we just keep on going at this momentum, this is where we're going to end up. Things have changed. And I want to share with you uh, something that really touched my heart. Uh, just a, a short video clip really touched my heart. Minister to me. I think it'll minister to you. It's the best description of an auto accident that I have ever seen in my life. If you'd play that right now. Well, I was just driving uh, down uh, Northern Avenue getting ready to pull into Albertsons. And uh, all of a sudden, I was just minding my own business. Bam! Hit me hard right from the back. I was glued to my seat. I was like, Whoa! I could see the car in front of me. I was about to hit him. So I kind of veered off this way. And as I veered off this way, the guy who hit me veered off that other way. And he hit the curb, flipped over, rolled over, run into the electrical pole. And I didn't know he hit the pole. All of a sudden, I kind of stopped. And I was like, whoa. And uh, the wires come down. Boom! And then arc, arc, bam! That fire was coming everywhere. It was arcing, sparking, blowing up. I saw one arc, arc go from the corner of my van up to the car behind me. It was like a big rainbow. Boom! And it was coming up. Boom! Boom! And I was like, yeah! So I, I opened up my door. I didn't touch no metal. And as I come up, I started to touch the top. And a little spark jumped up. I said, like, whoa! I, I stepped out the rest of the way. Lucky I didn't get burned more. So, oh, it was crazy, dude. Totally out of the blue. I mean, it was. I was just sitting there, and I was like, "Oh!" <laughs> Reality hits you hard, bro. Guy's still stuck in there. Guy's still stuck in there, and uh, his car is still hot. So we well, uh, go ahead and stop it there. I that that phrase when when he said, "Reality hits you hard, bro." I mean, he's even apostolic, right? He's got the bro. I mean, reality hits you hard, bro. Anybody ever felt like that in life at some circumstance? You're going along and then all of a sudden, bang. <laughs> Can't just quite do it like he can. 
Reality hits you hard, bro. And, and so theorists began to say, we're living in a different world. This is not that the calm world maybe had at different times where, where organizations could have 5, 10, 15, even 20-year plans. But, but instead of a placid lake, they began to use this metaphor to describe, and that is white water. Now, there's a big difference between that picture and that picture. White water. White water rafting, sort of. And, and what it is is that there are... In white water, there is constant, rapid, often unpredictable change that you have to navigate. And this is not some place that you can coast. Because if you try to coast in white water, you'll find yourself underwater. There's no coasting in white water. It has to be constant attention. And haven't we seen such rapid change that if we follow their logic and we go back over the last hundred years there have been so many advances in fact even commercial transatlantic transatlantic aviation is is just over a hundred years old uh, previously when we would send missionaries to go to a field they they would have to put things into a container and on a boat and a ship and it would be a period of time before they would make it there but now we can jump into airplanes and in less than a day we can be all the way on the other side of the world things have changed so quickly technology has changed and and now uh, you can reach through satellites and, and and those services we can reach Anyone, anywhere in the world with a phone call, unless your kids are in college and then they just don't answer the phone, but you possibly, potentially could reach them. Innovation, we, we live in a time where there's, there's these driverless cars, where there's talks about drones delivering packages. This is a different world and it changes so quickly. It's just to keep up with what's happening is very difficult. Um, Gary Hamill said that he, he talked about Bill Gates of Microsoft. And Bill Gates of Microsoft said, and this is a, a few years back, he said Microsoft is always two years away from failure. Now, we would like to think that an organization that big, like a Microsoft or an Apple, they could sort of take it easy for a while. But yet at the very top, they understand there is no time for coasting. Two years, because he said there's always some teenager who's in his garage right now who's figuring out the next thing. This is the world that, that we are, are living in, this, this revolution that takes place. It almost reminded me of being a young person and, and uh, that, that relay game we would play as, as youth where you'd sort of run down to, to where they had a bat laying on the ground, you put it on your head, you know, your head down on it, you go in circles four or five times and then you'd go to run back and then people would laugh at you as you sort of stumbled and staggered and, and tried to make your way back. I felt like that as a leader over the last few years at times, right? disoriented as so many things are are happening and we are having to shift and so as a result we live in a chaotic world and things are changing and now there are no longer these 15 and 20 year plans except maybe in facilities or or, or, or large items is that we are having to be nimble we're having to be able to move faster being more efficient and so even things like lean startups are talked about is that People don't wait and, and go through research and development for a year and put a million dollars in before they release a product. They're releasing it and working on it all the way because you can't wait. This is the environment we are in. It feels chaotic sometimes. And yet, God is not surprised, nor is he unprepared for the chaos of the 21st century. God has already provided us, first of all, the instruments and the instruction 
that will help us to navigate whatever surprises we have today and whatever surprises we will have tomorrow as things change. In fact, I love the verse um, Luke records Acts 2.40 talking about being saved from this perverse generation, this scoliosis, this bent, crooked, even this labyrinth maze. And that is the world that, that we find ourselves in. This is the world where not only would uh, Peter refer to this generation, but John would come on the scene as the forefronter and, uh, forerunner, and he is to prepare the way of the Lord, to take the crooked ways and make them straight. We live where there's a lot of twists and turns that are taking in our world today. And the church has been called, and, and Christian businessmen, and whatever you are involved in an organization, we have been called to lead during this time, not to passively just respond, but proactively engage and still accomplish what God has for us to accomplish, no matter what's going on in our environment. We should, we should have great comfort in knowing that the church has always been in some chaotic environments in the past. In the military, traditionally, they have been known for staggering amounts of, of planning. Beginning with the, the United States Commander-in-Chief and the Joint Chiefs that would set the parameters of an operation, orders would, and plans would be communicated, would cascade down all the way to the lowest levels, from generals to colonels to captains and on down. And the Army and militaries invested enormous amounts of energy in planning and processes. They have refined it over the years. Before the Industrial Revolution, before so many of these structures took place, you had military operations going back in time. And so it is sort of a marvel of communication when you think about D-Day, World War II operation and, and the Normandy invasion, all of the coordination that has to take place to pull off a plan of that magnitude. And yet there's one drawback, is that they found that many times some of their most detailed plans would turn out to be useless in engagement. That Colonel Tom Kolditz, who's the head of behavioral sciences at West Point, he references the popular military expression that many of us heard, and that's this, no plan survives contact with the enemy. The enemy always gets a vote. No matter how much detailed and analysis we put in, when we go to execute it, execution is always much different than theory. Any leaders realize that? Man, some of the greatest plans take place in my office, in my mind, and it never works out like I think it's supposed to. People just don't cooperate. No plan survives with the enemy. You may start off with your plan, but the enemy always gets a vote to where we can be surprised and even paralyzed, unsure what to do. I remember 9-11, uh, we were talking about the anniversary of that. I remember my wife calling me that day, and she said, Brent, we are under attack. And I was like, no way. She said, no, we really are. And I'm like, you know, this is a Rachel thing. She's doing something. And I was like, there, there's just no way. Because in my mind, when she said we were under attack, I, the only way I could even imagine it was paratroopers coming in the air, you know, somebody landing, you know, crafts at Miami Beach. And I thought no nation in their right mind would attack America that way. They would be uh, obliterated. There, there's no way they would do that. And they didn't. It was an attack that we didn't think about. It was airplanes and the towers and in the buildings. And all of a sudden, it has had such an impact that it has changed the way we live and the way we travel. 
I can tell my kids that, you know, once upon a time, in a land near, we used to go to the airport and we showed hospitality. We actually walked to the gate. That when they would walk off of the gate of the hiring chariot, we would be there waiting for them. We would welcome them. We would walk them to baggage claim. We would help them with their bags. But that's not how we travel now. You don't go to gates unless you're gone through security. You don't park outside of airports now, at least not in Chicago. There will be some wonderful person that will be telling you to move along and right now. It's a different world. The enemy gets a vote. They do things that we hadn't thought about before. Not only that, the weather changes. There's been many of an operation. The plan was great, although they couldn't predict the weather and storms would keep planes from being in the air. Uh, during the process, key assets can be destroyed, tanks or vehicles. And again, the enemy always responds in ways we don't expect. And so what would happen is that many times they would find that 10 minutes into battle, their plans had sort of fallen apart because of changes and shifts that had taken place with their enemy. It's almost like he, uh, he, he uses the example, it's almost like instructing a friend of yours in a chess match what you want him to do. And you give him the moves that you want him to follow. And so your friend starts following the advice you have. And he's doing good. He's following move by move by move as you've instructed him. Although when the enemy does something or his opponent does something he wasn't expecting, now he doesn't know what to do. Because you didn't prepare me for that. And so planning process is important. He says, very important. That when we plan, we, we are forced to think through the right issues. In fact, we even talk about more scenario planning now than even strategic planning. We have to think through the right issues. But even then, when we think of the different scenarios, it's still not enough on the battlefield. And so the military developed something that was called the commander's intent, the CI. Commander's tent, it's a plain talking statement that appears at the top of every order, and it specifies the plan's goal, the desired end state of an operation. This is where we're supposed to end up. It never goes into too much detail because that would render it being obsolete when there are unpredictable things that are happening. So it's really letting you know a vision of where we need to end up. We need to take this hill. We've got a great plan to take that hill, but no matter what happens with the plan, that's still the objective. That's where we want to end up. And what happens is it allows those on the ground, when the plans start falling because the enemy gets a vote, the weather doesn't cooperate, assets are destroyed, or things just don't go like we thought it would, it keeps us from becoming paralyzed and not knowing what to do. It's like we might have to innovate, we might have to make some changes, but we know what the commander wanted us to do. Can I say that in leading in the 21st century and in a pandemic or a post-pandemic or what kind of world it is, there are going to be a lot of times in all of our planning that for leaders it doesn't go like we thought it would or would we wanted it to. But what we have very clearly in the word of God and in our organization is the commander's intent. We know what the end state was. And there is great liberty in the church that we have to figure it out. I have to figure it out in Aurora. You have to figure it out wherever you might be. But we cannot become paralyzed in this day. We have to adjust and adapt through the leading of the spirit through wisdom, through experience, through those of others, we have to adapt. And so even in white water change, we can navigate. Now I know that there are things that don't change. Our doctrine doesn't change. Our values don't change. Our mission does not change. We are committed to those. But we also have to be able to navigate rapid change. And so in my remaining time, 
I want to talk to you a few tips about navigating the chaos of white water. In navigating white water change in a white water world is first of all, is there is no ego underwater. <laughs> no ego underwater. When you flipped upside down, pride is sort of out the window by that time. And leaders in the 21st century, there is no room for pride. Not only does God resist the proud, he gives grace to the humble, and that's more than our salvation. We need grace every day. We need his spirit. We need his covering. We need his blessings in our life. But, but pride will keep it. And there's this understanding that, that uh, if we're not careful, our pride can cause us problems. We have to humble ourselves. We have to be, uh, as the scripture, diligent and vigilant. We have to show concern. We have to be careful. We have to observe. We have to do everything that we can, not thinking we have all the answers. Because if you thought you had all of the answers... You, you, you realize over the last year, you didn't. I, so many times, and we have team members here, so many times throughout the last year, I, I said it to, to where I sort of just stopped saying it because I figured they knew it. I, I did not see this coming or that coming. Just didn't see it. it uh, couldn't plan for it. Our planning, our planning for this last year uh, or, or 2020, it went out the window in March. As detailed as it was, it had to go out the window in a moment. And we had to navigate, but we have to keep leading. We cannot be still. There's ever a time that our world needs leadership and strong leadership. It's the day that we're living in. When you're on a placid lake, you can take a, a nap and a rest. But when, when we are in white water, leadership must be constant. Must be constant. And so there's no room for pride and arrogance. That's why I'm glad you're here. We understand that we have more to learn and experiences to gain. Second one important way of navigating is discernment. When I speak now, I've got to tell you, I'm speaking out of ignorance. I have never been whitewater rafting. Okay, and so to all the experts out there, if I say something wrong, just bear with me. Uh, I, I'm reading other people's experiences. My wife honestly just will not let me go whitewater rafting. Uh, so it's a, it's a sort of a humiliating thing. See, I'm trying to humble myself here tonight. But discernment. Now, those of you who are experts at this know, but I didn't know, that the water, the rocks, and the things in the water send messages that if you understand the water, you can read the water and navigate. When they, when they talk about the ripples that are in the water as you're going down, the V ripples indicate a good course. You, you can see the V. Yet, when the V ripples point upstream instead of going downstream, it's an indicator that there's a rock there. And so somebody who sees the way the water is flowing can determine, okay, that's a danger or this is okay because I can tell by the V that is in the water, it is sending signs to me. Uh, th throughout the scripture, whether it's Issachar, understanding the signs of the times, there was this understanding that we need discernment. We, we need, no matter whether you are a local pastor or an entrepreneur, as Christians, we need God to help us be able to navigate and read what's happening. But we have to pay attention to the signs that are out there. We can't ignore the signs because they interfere with our plan. And so we have to be able to watch and pay attention. Third, we're to keep our weight over the boat. 
Because there's a literal tipping point when it comes to boats and water. And if you lean too far, you're not bringing it back. Remember uh, several years ago, my dad and I we were in Wisconsin on vacation, and we took this canoe down a river. And so I was very young at the time. To me, rocking the canoe made it exciting, you know. And, uh, but we got to that one point where we rocked it a little too much, and, and it dawns on you, okay, we have hit the tipping point. It's not coming back. No matter how much we try to throw our weight or get, we are going under. And so this is not something to play with, rocking the boat. There are times when we just don't rock the boat. We try to make sure we keep the weight centered in the boat for security in what we are going. We, we, we're in a time that we have to keep things active and between the lines. When we're, when we're driving a vehicle, we understand that there are things that are for our safety. There are lines to keep us on the road, on the path. If you ignore those lines, if you have a modern car, it might start beeping at you, you know, giving some obnoxious noise to let you know you're coming across to the line. After that, there's rumble strips. And if you hit the rumble strip, it's just really annoying. But, you know, you're not really doing damage when you hit the rumble strip. It's just annoying. But if you go past that and you hit the guardrail, it's not only annoying, damage is being done. And if you go past the guardrail, you actually risk your life, peril. And so things to make sure that whether they're the bends and the turns that are in the road, there are things that we have to have in place, our values, our, our confidence. We have to keep it in the center of the boat, between the lines, as somebody would say, that we that we make it to our destination, that we arrive where we are headed to fulfill our vision. Fourth is to keep an active paddle in the water. Remember when I talked about canoe and that placid lake? You get some momentum. You can bring the, the oar, the paddle, into the boat. You can take a few pictures. You'll coast for a while just with the momentum you've built. But when you are white water and you take the paddle out of the water, you are setting yourself up to be flipped and underwater. You have to be attentive. There is no passiveness. There, there is no letting things go. In fact, one uh, uh, I read several years about derelicts, and, and derelicts is a maritime term originally, and it talks about boats that are, are left without anyone steering. They're, they're left to coast on the water. Abandon. In fact, even the term means to neglect or forsake. There, there's no one, there's nothing intentional about a derelict. And you say, well, what's, what's the harm of a derelict, just sort of a barge or a boat, just sort of floating out there? Well, the damage is that it, while it does not have a purpose and it's not intentionally being navigated, everyone else is at risk because it's going with whatever the flow is out there. It's going with the mercy of the wind and the waves and the storms. And so it's out there. And some, some ship that is intentionally going toward its destination, a derelict that is just out there at the mercies of its environment, of its context, can come crashing and bring them down. And so typically what they do with derelicts is they sink them because they're dangerous. It's dangerous to just coast in, in our world. We have to understand what our mission is and what our values and where we are going. Fifth, Oregon River Rentals advises that you follow someone who has experience in navigating whitewater rapids. Follow someone else that has experience. That, that's one of the reasons why we're here, right? 
We're going to hear from those that have experiences. I, I don't want to learn at all life's lessons through personal experience. I would much rather learn them from many of your experiences. Because some of the things I hear, it, it sounds pretty painful. I, I would just rather sort of learn from you if I can. There are some things we can't. We have to experience, and everybody in life goes through that. But there are some things that we can learn. And that's what's going to happen in this coming together tonight. This is what leaders do. Is, is We're going to say to Brother Bernard in a moment, teach us, speak to us. Let us learn from your experience and our speakers throughout the day tomorrow where we can leave not only with our own personal experiences, but with a wealth of knowledge that comes from those who are constantly navigating and are in the boat. And then last, last thing I want to share with you is that they say no matter what you do, you still have to practice self-rescue. Because at some time, you're going to find yourself out of the boat. You're going to read something wrong. And you have to be able to practice getting back in the boat. Anybody ever led something that failed miserably? Oh, I thought there'd be more of you in my club than, than, than there was. I mean, so bad that you laugh about it now. And then you go and probably cry a little bit later when you're by yourself. But There are things that happen in life that we just mess it up. I, I have a talent for that sometimes. In fact, I've messed things up so bad before that I, I can't believe it myself. I, I've often said that the most difficult person to lead is myself. How many, how many found that to be true? I say that every once in a while, and just a couple of weeks ago, uh, we got in the car, and Rachel said, you know what, I don't think I've ever heard you make a point that I agreed with as much. She goes, I don't find, I find you're the hardest person for me to lead as well. <laughs> Those challenges in our life and leadership. And so what we could do is we could give up or we could quit, and there are those who do that. But you're here tonight because you want to, continue to grow and get back in the boat and, and launch out into the new and the next thing that God has for us. Our values don't change. Our mission doesn't change, but our vision changes because hopefully we fulfill one vision and we go on to the next. God's speaking something new. And while it can be disruptive at times, isn't it amazing when we look back, even in all the chaos, what has encouraged me in all the chaos of our world, when we look back, I'm hearing all over the place people testifying of the goodness of God, of people coming into the church, of, of initiatives going forward, of lives being changed, of mission being accomplished, and letting us know, hey, it might not all went like we wanted it to exactly, but we're still doing the job. We're still going forward. God is doing great things. That's why I'm so excited about Urshan College, Urshan Graduate School of Theology. You're gonna, as you come around the campus, you're going to find some amazing young people. And no matter what's going on in the world, they're here passionate about the kingdom of God. That's a passion for the church. I'm going to close with a song. No, I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> I saw the panic throughout the room is, oh, he needs greater assessment in his life. Has anybody given you a feedback form before? No, no, nothing like that. Several, I, I don't even want to tell you how many years ago this was. I, I've got to the place I don't want to tell you how long ago it was. I remember being at a general conference. This will give it away right here. It was a Harvest Time Song Fest. 
And uh, harvest time, for, for those who are not aware, there was a song, for, and sometimes we would have sort of a, like a concert, uh, uh, musical artists from throughout the United Pentecostal Church. Most of the time, it was the night before conference launch. It was sort of a launching thing. And, uh, and so we would come together. And on that particular, on that particular night, it was, uh, it was a little heavier than, than maybe many and I had been before. Really, sort of heavy. Uh, it seemed like th- anything was going. And, and Brother Merle Ewing, if you remember Brother Merle, Merle Ewing, he came up, and I'm, I'm a young guy. I, I probably, you know, four or five or something like that. Uh, <laughs> Brother Ewing came up, and he started singing just such a simple song. And here's how the lyrics go. Only the strong are going to make it. Only the brave are going to win. Win. So fight until you can't fight any longer. Then stand up and fight again. Because Jesus knew you had what it takes to make it. That's the reason why he called your name. He knew you loved him in the sunshine. Now he's hoping you will still love him in the rain. So you and he together can win over and over again. And the course went like this. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. You've got what it takes to win. And I know that you're going to make it. You're going to make it just as long as you and Jesus stay friends. And I was amazed that all of a sudden there was energy that started to come into that place. And what I think, looking back, reflecting, I think that there was a lot of people that came and they had been out in the trenches and they had been working hard and they were tired and weary, maybe uh, had been going through some challenges. And somebody started speaking into their lives that, you know what, we're going to make it. Jesus is with us. We're going to keep on fighting. We're going to keep going forward. And there was just such a sort of a, a wind that blew in that, that auditorium. And through that, you could just see it lifting the spirits of those that were there. And so my hope for you this week, uh, just the next 24 hours, no matter what's happening in your life, no matter whether you are on the highest uh, wave that you have had and momentum, is, uh, the wind is at your back and things are great, or maybe you've come through and you're not sure what's going on. I know all of us are looking to next year because it's that time, right? So we're already thinking about the next year, wherever we're at. I hope that in spite of the challenges, that in spite of the white water and the chaos of our time, that we come here humbly, we come here to discern what's happening, that we want to make sure we've committed to keeping our weight in the center of the boat, to keep an active paddle on the water. We are here to hear from someone else who has experience, and if we've fallen out of the boat, we have already practiced how to get back in the boat to complete the journey that we're on, whatever it happens. Because I do believe the Lord wants us to know that we're going to make it. We're going to win if we will stay faithful and stay engaged in what God has for us. Would you stand with me tonight? I wonder if we could just take a moment and pray. If there's anything in this that has spoken, the Lord has spoken to your heart in any way, let's just receive that together right now. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity, Lord, that we can come together, that we can open our hearts. That we are here as leaders, whether it is in the business world, the church, whether senior pastors.